I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Mike. And I'm Kate. And this is our last episode of 2016. Yeah, we just like to start off with saying thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the community. We've had a lot of great feedback from these episodes, and we're really excited to share today's episode. But yeah, we just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. And this was a new venture for Kate and I that we started originally three years ago, I think, or with our first three episode recordings of the podcast. Yeah. And then we scratched those and started again. So I want to give a special shout out to Ellen, Amber, and Michelle, and Robin, because I know you guys are regular listeners, and I just want to say thanks, and I love you. And my mother. I, that's Michelle. Oh, okay. Got it. Well, you didn't give any last names, so well, I don't Well, I, I would like to protect the, you know, I mean, they. I'm just saying... First names yeah, only. Right. I know. I get text messages every week. I think both of us do from my mom. It's like, oh, I just listened to the episode with Chris. That was yeah. great. So um, thanks for listening. Yeah, thank I think you. Danielle also listens pretty regularly. So thanks. Yep. Thanks, Stevie. We love you too. And for those of you not listening regularly, well. But if you are listening I'm regularly and loving it, please also give us a shout out. I think also Emily listens regularly. Yeah. So. And I would love to, like, I think what we're going to do more in 2017 that I would love to get a hit on is... Maybe there's something that you would like us to talk about. So I'd be very curious. We'll start doing a little bit more questions. I think for the most part, this year has been great because we've been consistent every week with putting it out. This is number 15, the episode in a row. And But also it's like create a little bit more interaction with it, I think, is what we could do for 2017. So for right now, if you have a question that you want answered in the podcast or a topic, please just email info at katenorthrop.com. And let us know. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get those emails. Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Yeah. Twitter is like too. a great place to do it as well. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll just talk about a little bit. We did an interview for the last episode of this year with Brianna and Dr. Peter Borton, who are our friends. And they wrote a book called The Well Life. How to use structure, sweetness, and space to create balance, happiness, and peace. And Peter and Brianna are dear friends of ours. They come visit us every summer in Maine with their two beautiful girls, Sailor and Sabina. And I really have to say their book is about these three simple elements of structure, sweetness, and space for creating a balanced, peaceful, exceptional life. And I have to say, Peter and Brianna really live this. When you're around them, they are just beautiful to be around. They're great conversationalists. They're very into wellness. They are just, they have great energy. They're incredible parents. They are running a rockin' business with three physical locations of the Dragon Tree Spa, two in Portland, Oregon, one in Boulder, an, an apothecary line of tinctures and different herbal remedies, personal care line of different like shampoos and skincare and things infused with essential oils, a lifestyle section of their business that includes their, their dream book, which is an incredible tool and resource and all these other things. I mean, they are just, they really have an empire and yet they live this really well nourished, beautiful life where they're really with their kids and they're connected to their spiritual practice and their meditation. And we talked about that in the episode, especially kind of what their spiritual practice means to them, how to create your own rituals, what kind of rituals they do with their kids to create meaning every day. We talked about presence. We really covered a lot. Yeah. And Kate brought, asked Peter a question of, 
you know, one of those things where it's like, what if you don't have a morning ritual or you've tried all these different things like many of us do and then life gets in the way. And he just gave a great answer for it about what you can do with our busy lives and busy environment to create, even though you might not have 20 minutes in the morning, but there's, you know, he gave a great example of what you can do. So I actually did that today and it was great. It was great. So cool. Yeah, that's great. And then we also covered like what it's like to work together as a couple. And they gave, they've been together for, or they've been working together for 14 years now. And they talked a lot about one particular practice that they did as a couple, as a married couple that's helped them tremendously in order to be able to just keep their relationship strong. And Mike and I are going to try it. So listen in for that. I think you'll love hearing about that. Yeah, this was recorded on Skype. So this is the first time we've done something like this. The audio will be a little bit different than usual, but we're trying to make it the best possible audio recording that we can get. So we're working on that. So it'll just be a little bit different. Just let us know what you think about that, too. Awesome. Cool. Well, enjoy Peter and Brianna. I know you'll love them as much as we do. Thank you. Happy 2016. Happy Happy New Year. 2017. We'll see you in 2017. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. I guess happy end of 2016. Yeah. Have a great end of 2017. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Cheers. Hey, welcome to the Kate and Mike show. We have Peter and Brianna Borton and I'm here and Mike's here. Mike's here. And we're really excited. Peter and Brianna are dear friends and we're going to hop right back into the conversation we were just having because we realized it was too good not to record. So we want to start out. Peter and Brianna, you guys are like nose deep in the middle of your book launch of The Well Life. And this book, it's incredibly holistic. I mean, when I was going through it, I was like, I can't believe the width and not the width, the depth and breadth of what you guys cover. So I love that. And we were just asking, how's the book launch going and how are you guys feeling? So let's kind of pick back up on what you were talking about. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. We're so happy to be here. And yeah, we were just talking about how challenging it can be coming as entrepreneurs where you get to generally see, you know, real life, like how a marketing effort is going like in real time and how there's such a long delay in knowing how book sales are going. You know, you were doing podcasts and radio interviews and TV interviews, and we don't know if it's really making much of a difference because we just don't know. At least that seems to be the case with a traditional publisher, in our case, an imprint of Simon & Schuster. And maybe, I mean, I'm assuming if you were self-published and you were just doing it, you know, on-demand print or something like that on Amazon, then you could get kind of real-time feedback about how your marketing efforts were doing. But we have to go through them. They technically own the Amazon page for our book, so we can't modify it or really get into that interface. But I was saying that I feel like I'm hugely grateful for the opportunity to get our message out there through all the radio interviews and podcasts we've been on, which I think the listeners of all of them probably add up to hundreds of thousands, if not like a million plus people, even if it doesn't translate into book sales. I just feel like the fact that we've gotten to speak to that many people and give them our message, which essentially is that we just want people to be living closer to their potential and to wake up and hone their gifts and share them with the world. I love that. Whoa, that's great. And for those, I'll give a little substance regarding the book industry real fast since we are talking about that because I think it is relevant. We hear a lot about it or we see New York Times bestsellers and, you know, there's a lot of status, I guess you could say, with it. Kate's book was published with Hay House. So 
It's exactly right. If you have a traditional publisher like what Peter and Brianna were talking about, we don't actually have control or the rights over that book, the publisher. Now, every company's contract's a little bit different. So this is specifically for like, I'll share our experience, but for the most part, like the publisher owns the rights to the book and we can buy rights or they can sell rights to like foreign countries. Any other country would be a foreign country, right? So <laughs> yeah, other, they're called foreign rights deals. Yeah, foreign yeah. rights deals. And so then the country will give pay this publisher the rights to be able to publish in that country. So that's why you see some books that come out in multiple countries, etc. And so then that comes off of your advance or you could get an advance or royalties when it comes to books, right? So your advance would be they might pay you to write a book and they give you money up front and then you pay that back within royalties and royalties will become from ongoing book sales. So as a self-published author, you have total control over all of that. So you can see how many books you sold. You can see how many books you've actually printed. You can do on-demand printing now. It's a whole control thing, right? It's like if you, it's a much bigger systems or following attitude where the internet is basically streamlined things. So it's just a matter of time before individual people like us four talking right now actually are able to see the numbers each week. It's through this company called BookScan, they say, but that doesn't always give you the valued numbers because physical book sales are different than digital book sales and they're different than audio book sales. And one thing we did with our publishers, we actually bought or the publisher actually gave us the audio rights back because they were never going to produce an audio book for Kate. So we actually paid to get the audio book produced and then sold it. And so that's something that we've done with our publishers. So I can see on a weekly basis, or they do it monthly, but monthly basis on how many audiobooks we've sold. So that's something we can tell. But it is, it's a little frustrating about like how many books have I sold? And you're like, oh, I don't know. Because there's so many factors. Because like you take Barnes and Nobles, Barnes and Nobles will order, let's say, 30,000 books. If they don't sell, they ship them back. So it's yeah. technically like they might ship back 15,000 books over the next six months. You really never know how many books you sold from Barnes and Nobles and it could be for a while. Right. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's the side note book industry for those of you that wanted to know that information. Yeah. yeah I mean, we've been, we self-published the dream book, you know, that you guys know of our planner. Yeah. And I feel like it is so nice to have that because we can see exactly what's moving the needle. You know, we like run a Facebook ad and it works really well. We're like, Oh, that works. So then we can, you know, adjust from there and we really have so much control. It's really, really nice. So, of course, it's nice to also have a publisher and it feels validating and they have distribution and all those things, too. So that's all really lovely as well. But, yeah, I can see why people self-publish. And we keep getting backordered on the dream book, which people get really upset about. <laughs> and it means having to put up your own money to do bigger and bigger printing. So yeah. You getting on the phone with the printer and yelling at them. And <laughs> that's to what we do up. all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of the well-life that's protocol. The well. That's chapter 10. <laughs> Yelling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yelling. It's like uh, ethical yelling. <laughs> well, I'd like to know for you guys, you know, listeners, you can probably hear that some of us have a little bit of a stuffy nose right now. And <laughs> I, think, I think all four of us actually do. So I'm just curious, you know, in times like you guys are in the middle of, you just shared with us that both of your girls had your two beautiful girls, by the way, Sabina and Sailor. We absolutely love them. Both have birthdays right before Thanksgiving. Then there was Thanksgiving and then there's the solstice and then there's Christmas and then there's Hanukkah and then there's New Year's. And it's like a really big time. Plus you're launching this book. 
And it's a lot of energy output. And, you know, you sometimes have a little bit of a physical fallout from that. And that's, I think, completely understandable. And so what's kind of like your well-life philosophy around that during the times when you do have big projects and big things to do, and it's in the middle of the holidays, and it's not like you can just be like, you know what, I'm out for a couple of weeks. I'm just going to lay on the couch. What do you do? Well, I think part of it for us is having rituals that we don't compromise on. And rituals, I think, you know, often that term has religious connotations for people. And if you want to have religious rituals, that's fine. But you can create rituals that work for you around anything you want. And essentially, they become like checkpoints or anchor points throughout your day and throughout your life that create a kind of feeling of consistency, even when stuff gets crazy. And just by doing something different and having a different intention and dropping in for a few moments, I feel like it creates this kind of like level ground when everything is going crazy. So that's a big part of it for us. And it's great to have kids who are learning to participate in those things too. Yeah, I definitely think that having kind of like ritual checkpoints, you know, whether we always like have dinner together and we have songs that we sing together before dinner and just these little things that are really nourishing that can definitely go by the wayside, I think, if you aren't bringing them front and center in your life. And so making sure that those things don't get lost because we know how nourishing they are to us and they really provide a great foundation for being able to move through and, you know, not kind of get swept away by the craziness. So I agree with Peter. That's definitely a huge part of it. And then I think another part of it is just making sure that, you know, we're still doing the health practices that we know are so essential to maintaining our health to the degree that we can. We're both like kind of sick right now, but, you know, making sure that you're getting enough sleep and that you're eating healthy and you know that you're getting outside and being in nature and that you're really like having mental stillness by meditating and all of these things that we recommend in the book that we're continue to do them even as things get really full, that those things don't get lost. Yeah. It's powerful. Those rituals are so grounding. I mean, that's why kids need that stability, right? We're just like, we're not different. We also need those things. Yeah. Do you have a question? I have a lot of questions, but you can go. (laughs) What are some of your rituals? So you sing before, how come when you stayed at our house, did, I don't think we sung before. I think we did grace, but did did we sing? We didn't sing. We did do grace. You know, we actually started since we saw you doing like specifically like these two chants or singing. Um, and so that's been, I think we actually started right when we got home from that trip doing that. So before we were just doing grace and now we've been moving into more of the song. So next time we come, we'll sing with you. I can't wait. It's really cute to hear our two year old, like puttering around the house, singing a Sanskrit chant. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It is among the cutest things ever. One of them is this, is a brief one that's Loka Samasta Sukino Bhavantu, which you may hear at yoga classes sometimes, which means something like, may all beings everywhere experience happiness and freedom. And the kids love it. And we light a candle and, you know, I feel like there are a whole bunch of different elements of ritual that people could employ, like lighting a candle or looking at a picture that's significant to you or putting on a special item of clothing or eating something special or drinking something special. But the main thing is just that something is different than kind of your everyday mundane routine. 
and your presence is different. Maybe that's the most significant part is that you're like, I'm just hanging everything that I'm stressing out about up and I'm just focusing on this right now. And it's at least like a few moments of mindfulness. Yeah. And then I think you're asking about like what other rituals we have. So in the morning we have things that we read, you know, inspirational things that we read. And then we meditate in the morning and then we meditate again at night. And we always write in our journals. We both write gratitude in our journals. And then I write a few extra things that I enjoy doing at night on my journal. So those are like the, really the main things. Every Sunday is called nature Sunday. Every Sunday we have nature Sunday where we go out (laughs) into nature really like not just be in nature, but like talk about it and be grateful for it. And, you know, have conversations with our children about nature, which is really wonderful. And then I would say another ritual is it's not, not at every, at any specific time, but it's definitely like cuddling. Like we spend so much time cuddling with our children and it is such a nourishing and grounding part of my Mm. life that I think I would put it in that category. That's beautiful. That's awesome. That's really beautiful. So I have a question about morning meditation and reading and stuff. Now your kids are a little older, but I find that like until Penelope has left for daycare, I feel like the mornings aren't really my own. And so I have really struggled in the, but to be perfectly honest, I'll just out myself. I've struggled in the area of morning ritual far before I had a child. So I really can't make Penelope the scapegoat on this one. I just like, I don't know what it is. I really hate doing the same thing over and over again, like every day, like the idea of doing the same thing. I don't know why, but it makes me twitch. Have you ever tried one? Yeah. 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 And I just don't stick with them. So I'm just wondering, like for someone like me who tends to be rushing a lot, like I like to go fast, even though I'm really working on slowing down and I have this idea that my morning is not my own, even though that is not true. Like, what would you recommend to start small with something that could be a daily ritual? I think that, first of all, I totally understand you. I've never been a morning person. (laughs) If left to my own devices, I will naturally stay up till like two or three in the morning. And I have had to like force myself to change that habit. And if I don't happen to wake up before our little one sailor, you know, there's very little chance of getting anything like that done until Brianna wakes up and we can trade off or the nanny comes over and I've got like my own time. But I hesitate to recommend that you do something at night instead because there's such a special, there's such a special benefit to starting your day with something like that. And I would say at the very least, taking a moment to like set an intention for your day. Like when we talk about forging rituals with people, we often will say like at the bare minimum, just open it with something and close it with something. So there's a container there. So you Mm -hmm. might open it by saying my intention is going to be blah. Like my intention is just to feel grounded and centered and connected and grateful. And then you do whatever you're going to do. And then at the end to say, thanks powers that be however you want to phrase that I'm grateful for what just happened period so that there's a a container and I think you can have a container around your day in the same sort of way so that it's you start out by you know invoking your authentic self and simply saying you know this is what I intend for today that I'm clear that I'm effective that I 
heal people or bring the light in whatever circumstances I'm in, that I'm an emissary for love or however you want to put it. Maybe if that takes 60 seconds or something, that's better than nothing. Yeah. And then you can close the day at night and at least you've made sort of a container around your day and set an intention around it. That's really powerful. I've actually never heard anybody describe it in quite that way. And that feels better to me in terms of a container around the day than like do a morning ritual because of productivity or I don't know. I just have trouble yeah, with it. So thank you, Peter, because that does actually give me a new perspective and I'll let you know how that goes. I like the container idea. Yeah. I guess I really yeah, I get mean, that. I like variety too. So that's hard for me, <laughs> yeah. but the forum we've been using for the past, like several months has been a course in miracles. It's yes. like a workbook, you know, and we've been doing it with a group of people that we're good friends with. So we just have like brief check-ins on WhatsApp just to sort of express that you did it for the day. Cool. And that's all that we expect of each other, really. And because of that, there's enough variety because it's a different lesson each day. Yeah. But that kind of keeps it interesting for me. I like that. Hmm. Yeah, I used to do... I, I For a while, I would wake up in the morning and when Danielle Laporte's book, Firestarter Sessions, was first out, I would read a chapter and do the work, whatever the worksheet was or the exercise. So, so I, I also like that, like the idea of being guided by you know, an outside teacher just to infuse that with. So that's cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then also in the book, like you guys talk about, I know, Peter, you're a Chinese medicine practitioner. Yeah. And so can you talk a little bit about how, you know, especially I know in Chinese medicine, there's the yin and the yang, and that's, you know, similar to the masculine and feminine energies. Can you guys talk a little bit? I mean, this is a big question. And so maybe there's many questions within it, but you're married, you run a business together, you wrote this book together. There's a lot of different energies at play here. And I'm curious, what are some of your, both of you can speak to this. What are some of your best tips for managing like the different energies going on, the the yin and yang in both of you and how you kind of bring that into your life? into your romance, into your business, into parenting. It's a lot to manage. That's a big question, but you can just like say whatever comes to you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess we get asked a lot how we, cause we're always together pretty much always. It's taken a long time to like really, and I wouldn't even say we've perfected it, but to get it to where it is, we've been working together now for like 14 years wow. and We've just learned how to kind of let the other person do their best work and to really value it and to show acknowledgement of it because we have very different skill sets. And so as we move into new projects together or as we address something together, trying to remember and not just remember, but articulate to the other person how we value what they're bringing to every situation. Because I think that a lot of times that was what was getting them their way in the beginning, feeling like I felt like underappreciated or, you know, I'm like doing all the house stuff and like half the work stuff. And, you know, that's not going to work for me. And so figuring out how to balance all of that so that we're both really in it and like bringing a hundred percent and also really seeing that the other person is doing that as well. And I really think that like gratitude and appreciation for the other person has been, I mean, I would say that that has been like the most useful ingredient to bring. Yeah. And we did also specifically delineate what each of our duties would be in all areas of life. I mean, like I change every single diaper and <laughs> <laughs> truly. And Brianna gets up 
every single time Sailor needs somebody in the middle of the night, partly because it's really hard for me to go back to sleep if I wake up at night, and partly for her because she hates diapers. <laughs> I will take um, that on in a heartbeat. I'll do that. You want the diapers? I'll do di- I'll do every single diaper. Kate, I know, as soon as you said that, Peter, Kate looks at me, and I'm just like, what? I did? Yeah, you looked at me. I did. I didn't mean role. to. I don't. I do not think you should do every single diaper because I am also not interested in getting up every single time in the night. So oh, I know. I'm happy to keep doing that. What do you do, Brianna, if Peter's not home? I mean, I definitely change her diaper. If Peter's not home. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> SOL, Sailor. <laughs> <laughs> Sabina, diaper change. And then what do you guys yeah, do Sabina about change your diaper, which is nice. But oh yeah, that is true. You guys have a you guys have an awesome and, helper with, know, with Sabina. I said, you know, I was the one nursing, so I'm like, I put it in and you take it out. It seemed like a really fair trade. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That's really funny. So how about I'm just from a purely personal perspective, I'm curious, what are your other very clear role delineations? whether in business or around the house or parenting? Well, we have so many of them. I mean, at one point we like made a whole list of pretty much everything that needed to be done and delineated it. No, like it's true. All the car stuff is me. All the house maintenance stuff is me. Anything disgusting is me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's good. It's really good that way. I do all like the business management stuff. So anything like the financials, the hiring, the firing, all of the real like business management stuff, I do all of that. And I do like most of our social planning and take care of a lot of the social planning for our children as well. I can't remember if that was like specifically you though. I think that was joint for us. Signing uh, up for classes and stuff like that. That's both of us. And then, you know, like as a slight aside, we have an article, actually, people could just Google Borton needs list. And it's about having needs lists that you share with your partner. And that's really been a huge advantage in this, you know, evolving compatibility thing where you spend some time getting really clear on what your specific needs that can't be compromised are in the relationship and making sure that your partner knows them. There are, I mean, a handful of benefits to doing that, but one of them is that if you become really clear about what your needs are and you recognize that your partner is meeting those needs or at least making an enthusiastic effort to get them met for you somehow, and at the same time they do something that is just like bugging the hell out of you, and you're like, I don't know if I can deal with this anymore. Generally, you can look at your list and be like, this person meets all my needs to say, have somebody who doesn't leave their underwear around the house is not a need of mine, actually. It's a want, but not a need. So therefore, I have some perspective where I can say, this isn't a deal breaker for me. In fact, it's a very special thing that I have somebody that meets all my needs or is willing to help me get them met and all the other stuff that bugs me about them is really just a growth opportunity for me. It's like, you're showing me my buttons. I can learn to neutralize those buttons and stuff for me to work on. That just gives some perspective, I think. Yeah. Agreed. That's awesome. That's awesome. We'll be Googling that after this. Well, it'll be in the show notes. And it'll be in the show notes as well. But that's such a great idea just for harmony in your marriage. And then I would also imagine that, you know, you guys work with a lot of different team members in your business. Well, hold on. Oh, um, you we're, not, we're not I'm going sorry. that way okay, yet. Sorry. We back. Like this is like, <laughs> we're painting this beautiful picture. It's like, Oh, it works so good. And Peter changes all the diapers. How did you get here though? Like I want to talk some of this stuff that didn't go well. 
like what led you to this? Like what happened? Like what did you start to notice in your own relationship from a business? Let's just talk like, I guess since we're talking about your book and the business side, because they do overlap with personal and business. So like, how did you end up at these places to be like, Oh, we need these needs. Like something was not being met. I would imagine in each one of you to get there. Well, I mean, we both worked with a teacher and like very early on in our relationship who taught us about, you know, needs lists and integrity and integrity and how to do a lot of that. So that has existed in the beginning, not to say that it was always great, but we've always, we've pretty much always had that. And then there were so many, I mean, we had so many times where, you know, we felt like or maybe I felt like I was doing everything. You know, I felt like I was like running the whole business and doing all this stuff at home. And so I brought a lot of that to Peter to say like, Hey, I really need you to, you know, be doing half of this stuff. Like I need it to feel really equal. And I think that luckily I just have a very willing partner to be, who is like willing to look at it. And I would say it took years actually of like us continuously coming back to that question of being like, how do you make this really work well so that I'm not feeling upset about the way things are being split and that you feel like you're really like bringing your full potential to the relationship. And, you know, I'm not getting upset with you and you're not having somebody upset at you and all of those things. And I think, I mean, it definitely was years of talking about it and reworking things and, you know, having that conversation. Yeah. I mean, and it definitely hasn't always been easy. And I would say that like for Brianna, when she is emotionally triggered, her emotion, her default would be to anger. And it's very hard for me to be on the receiving end of anger. And so Hmm. like, you know, to her, she was feeling like I'm doing everything. And to me, I was like, you're angry at me all the time. (laughs) And I don't want to just say, well, you have to have like done integrity work before getting into a relationship, but it, it sure helped a lot that we both And I think if you could do this at any point in your relationship, it truly would be good to do it earlier on, but that we both felt like it was important to keep our agreements and be our word. And that we both had a kind of a sense or a definition of commitment as being something a lot bigger than simply like sticking around, even (laughs) if it sucks. (laughs) Totally. That's the thing is, I mean, I think about so often we sort of entertain these ideas of getting the hell out of the relationship. And it's like, well, I'm still here, aren't I? And it's like, yeah, you're here like physically, but you're sure not here in spirit. And we recognized and we kept our vows are on the side of the refrigerators. We remember these things that the commitment isn't just to stick around and have it be awful, but the commitment is to like bring a certain quality of participation and presence and enthusiasm to it and a willingness to grow and a willingness to figure it out rather than leaving. And, you know, that makes a huge difference if you're willing to figure it out. Chances are with two, you know, slightly intelligent people, you can <laughs> pull that off. Yeah, I think you're totally right. If somebody listening wanted to go do that kind of integrity work, where would you point them? Well, you know, our teacher had been kind of like a protege of Werner Earhart, the guy who started Est. And probably a lot of people know of Est as kind of like a fringe sort of intense thing that actually tons and tons of CEOs did. Yeah. But 
he kind of brought like a more depth to it. He started a training called the Liberty Experience in San Francisco that was like that with like soul to it and spirit to it. And he doesn't do it anymore, but we have actually tried to bring a lot of those concepts to our book, The Well Life. I was hoping you would say that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I wasn't sure. Explain this kind of process and this accountability and how to reestablish trust and forgive and clean things up in great detail in the book. So people, that's a wonderful starting point. And we have a course that also kind of leads people through a lot of that stuff too. Oh, what's that? Is that the dream, the one connected to the dream book? Yeah, someone that goes with the dream book that oh. it's called Dreaming and Planning. Okay, great. So a link about that will be in the show notes for yeah. sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We have been asked by the Omega Institute about doing a course there. And so we've thought maybe we should make a course that goes along with the well life that, yeah. that encompasses more of that and everything else we go on to from there. That would be amazing. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, you guys would be great there. Oh, thanks. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, totally. And then, can I ask them about their business now, Mike? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so I got my need met. Okay, so great. I want to. Or my want. We're going to do yeah. those needs lists. P.S. Like, well, we happening. kind of we actually like do it, but I think there's it's not clear. So you know, it's like the car stuff. Like you don't deal with the car stuff. You don't deal with the maintenance of the house. Like we like, never talked about it. Right. We never actually laid it out. So I think it would be beneficial to just be like, oh, because there's probably like stuff that each one of us do, but we still feel like maybe we should do it. Or maybe the other person should be doing it. Yeah. I feel like in our relationship, <laughs> I'm going to totally out myself. But there's a part of me that doesn't want to do this because the reality is Mike does more than I do. And like, I don't really want to write it all down because <laughs> that will be really obvious. honest. Well, um, maybe that will be, maybe I can use that as like a bonus or something. What'd you say, Peter? I said, if people have different capacities. And That's right. But, you know, Kate makes up in looks for what maybe she <laughs> Thank you for that, Peter. She has the writing ability of the two of us. So that puts her, you know, that fills a lot of buckets there. <laughs> but, you know, to your point, there are times that I'm like, so we got this notice about our car registration like three months ago and the number on our license plate is like pretty outdated now. And Brenda's like, uh, that's on your list. And I'm like, Oh, I love it. <laughs> no, I think actually it would be really, really helpful to just like make a list. So we'll add that into yeah, next week. I have the pleasure of being a Virgo. So that stuff expiring license plates that definitely. I would well, here's the that. thing. Like, Here's the reality. Because Mike is such a Virgo, he literally, he's one of those guys that like, it's the one touch rule. So something comes in and he just handles it right then. Whereas if it were up to me, it would be in a stack and it would be like, I would get to it, but not for a while. And so it wouldn't really work for Mike. So I get the benefit of the fact that you're totally obsessive about things and yeah but we I did this lead back but we did this with our with like Penelope because we've been we having you guys have the benefit of babies that like sleep I think forever no like. they don't I know but when they- I think sailors does sailors still wake up in the night sometimes yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. a lot like every night almost every night not every single night but morning oh, man than oh, okay yeah. That, yeah. I'm sorry. I just remember when, was it Sabina that slept with you, Brianna, until like 9 or 10 a.m. or something? Yeah, they do sleep late. Yeah, that's it. Always, yeah. Like, usually they do. Yeah, late. Yeah, so we had, with Penelope, with her sleep, like we were rotating 
you know, it's like, because it felt too much, you know, we had a recently, like probably in the last couple of months, we had to talk about like who we had to set boundaries for the mornings. It was like Monday's your day, you know, each, yeah. each week we sit down and say, okay, who's going to take care of Penelope this day and that. So if we do have a rough night, then one of us can at least sleep in or I can go work out or do something instead of, you know, making breakfast all the time. And that seems to be, I mean, it changes every week. So we're really just sitting there, but I think that's really cool about the needs and the ones that helps so much. Like, well, and I'm thinking that must help you in your company as well, because you work with, you know, you have, so tell me, I think I understand the breadth of what you guys manage and have created, but can you just list it out? Cause probably I'll forget something just yeah. so people understand what we're talking about here. Cause it's really tremendous what you've created. And before Brianna lists this, because she's the better one to do that, I would say under her direction, the main thing is that it's all one big company with one overarching purpose. And I'll let her like explain what all those moving parts are. But I think she's done a great job of like unifying it. Thanks, honey. <laughs> so yeah, we have three spa locations. So two of those spas are in Portland, Oregon. And then one of them is in Boulder, Colorado, which is where we live. And then we have a whole apothecary line of products. And so in that line, we have a bath and body line that is, you know, like a essential oil infused body products. And then we have a muscle melt line, which is a line for muscle and joint relief. And then we have an herbal tincture line, which is all sorts of condition-specific tinctures. And then we also have kind of what we call our lifestyle aspect of our business. So that includes our dream book that we had mentioned earlier, this book, our, and all of our programs. So we have, you know, a program on pain relief. We have a program on dreaming and planning. And then we also have a program called How to Eat, which is all about nutrition. And then we also, I just recently created a course called Spa Success School. Oh, nice. Is, yeah, it's all about like how to run a successful spa, which I was kind of like, why am I creating this? And now I realize it's, you know, it's been actually really great to give to all of our managers. So oh, cool. it's been really great. And so that's kind of like the overview of everything that we do. Remarkable. Wow. Right. So, yeah. What was the first thing? What was the first thing that we started? Yeah. The spa. And so, how long ago? It was 13 years ago, and we started our first spot in Northwest Portland. I started it with a business partner, and then a year after we opened the doors, we actually didn't talk like as of like opening the doors for like a year. And then, so after a year, I bought her half the business, and then Peter and I got married, and then I sold him a portion of the business so that his acupuncture practice had always been in the spot. But he just wasn't, you know, a part of the business itself. Yeah, we were dating at the time. We both met at another spa where I was doing acupuncture and she was a massage therapist. And she said, I want to open my own spa. How about you move your practice into there? And I was in just kind of like a drab medical building at the time. And I actually thought moving into a spa would be not a good idea because I'd only get people who just wanted like foofy sorts of treatments, which wasn't the case at all. <laughs> Instead, I actually, I really came to, to hugely value how transformative the space could be. So I went from like a beige and white medical building to this, you know, space with skylights and saris hanging out the wall and, and like delicious scents and like the sound of gurgling water and everything. And I was like, 
I was missing this gigantic dimension of healing potential. So I thank Brianna for introducing me to that. Cool. And but yeah, we found a warehouse and I was there from the beginning knocking down walls and painting and all of that, but I didn't join on as like a partial owner of the business until a few years into it. Wow. Hmm. And how many employees do you guys have? I think that we have like a hundred and 12 right now. Okay. So that's, I mean, to me, that sounds like a lot. And, (laughs) and so I am curious, how does the work that you do at home around integrity and needs translate to managing 112 people? You know, I think a lot of it is creating really good boundaries. So, you know, we have 112 employees, but they don't all report to me at all. There's a lot of layers in there. And so I think that there's a lot of things around like needs and integrity for hiring and for creating job descriptions and knowing, you know, who's in charge of what and how it's going to be done. So similar to how we delineate who's doing what in our relationship, we delineate really clearly in our business who does what and who reports to who. And, you know, then we also just try to really use business and the forum of employment and employer as all growth opportunities. And it's very much in our culture to be like, oh, if you're having an upset, which is so normal, like we all do, humans have upsets about work or about a coworker or whatever it is, that we use those opportunities to look at ourselves and see how we can grow. And so it's really always been a part of what we encourage our staff to do so that we're all growing together because they're not going to stay with us forever. That, I mean, some of them I really hope do like a few key people specifically, Um, (laughs) but you know, there are people that come on and their spa attendants, you know, this could be like one of their first jobs they've ever had. They're cleaning foot baths and, you know, cleaning locker rooms and it's not going to be their forever job. It's not intended to be, we don't want it to be their forever job either. And so if we can, in the time that they're with us, help them think differently and improve their own lives, then we have left them better than we found them. And that's always the goal. And I would add to that, clarifying our purpose as a business has been hugely valuable in that. And that everybody knows what that purpose is when they come on and they subscribe to it themselves. And the business's purpose often seems like it has a life of its own and it attracts resources to help itself be its purpose more effectively and it's a guiding light for big decisions and small decisions and over time by kind of curating this group of especially managers who are really share our vision and who are super competent and just people that we adore and allowing them to use more of their own discretion in remedying things, managing things, cleaning up, you know, messes and putting out fires has been, you know, hugely liberating for us. And it's been empowering for them. That's amazing. So can you articulate, is that the same purpose as your book or is it slightly different? So I would say everything that we do has a similar like thread of a purpose, which is to create a more peaceful world through more peaceful individuals. Mm -hmm. So that is the same for everyone and everything that we do. That's beautiful. Yeah. That sounds, that's awesome. 
They seem really like high stress right now. No, they don't. They're, I mean, they're that's like the thing the that's real with you yeah. guys. I mean, I just really want to say, you know, these guys have stayed with us in our home and Brianna and I have hung out other times. Like they are really awesome and calm. Yeah. And even with two little kids, like it's such a pleasure to have you guys. You always leave too soon. So yeah. you're walking the walk. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, we'll be back soon. Yeah, good. So it's not like we never freak out either. Yeah, but course. I think over time, but calmly, <laughs> freak out calmly. <laughs> I try to freak out as calmly as possible. <laughs> I mean, the main thing is you, you bounce back quicker. Right. Or you learn, right? I mean, you freak out, but you like come back to center quicker. You become like a weeble wobble. You know those <laughs> things? <laughs> you guys know those things? I don't know what a weeble wobble is, but I'm following you. You lost me on the weeble wobble, They're but I'm still here. childhood, there are these like little egg-shaped people that have like a weight in the bottom of them. And like the ad went, they weeble and they wobble, but they don't fall down. <laughs> Essentially. Really, I know what they are, and I feel like that's a really good analogy if they knew what it was. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Kate might. She had to go blow her nose. She'll be right back. No, I heard you guys. Oh, do you know what a weeble wobble is? Yeah. Kate knows what a weeble wobble is. Yeah, but how about like with different locations? I'm curious, like what is your... So would you consider... You're the founders, right, of this empire, and then is your role, would you still be, are you still active in your spas or is it like once a month you get reports? So somewhat active. I would say it depends on what is going on. I mean, I definitely feel highly engaged with all the aspects of our company, but we do have a COO who does, you know, the operations side of things now. So, you know, I'm not the one that has to do a lot of those kinds of things, but you know, big decisions are still passed by me. Some small decisions that are just things that I'm more picky about get passed by me. So they know those kinds of things. Like they can't, you know, if a rug gets ruined at the spa, they can't just like buy any rug. They have to kind of go by me because I care a lot about what every rug, you know, I care about the space so much. And, you know, if they're going to change the way that people are paid, which we're doing this year, we're changing a lot of like the ways in which we're paying our staff. And so all of those kinds of decisions go by me. So, and then sometimes we're not making any huge changes and then, you know, I am focused on other things. So it depends on what's going on. I probably am at the spot more because I still have a medical practice and I like to continue to treat people, even though it's like greatly reduced since we've been doing, I've been doing more of the kind of teaching education stuff like writing and creating courses. Both of us love to have opportunities to stay in touch with and know the names of all the people who are actually doing, you know, the work on the, you know, on all levels. I'd love to meet the therapist and I'd love to know that we have talented people working for us. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really great. So switching gears, I want to hear about what was it like to write a book together? Because I know for me, like when I create content, it's a very... Like it's really solo and Mike and I have tried to create stuff together and it's really fun to brainstorm. And I also find it super challenging and I cannot imagine writing a book with anybody. So I'm just, I want to know what was your process like? What was your writing process like? And what did you learn along the way? It was tricky. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) For that to come out so hesitant. I can't write in a collaborative way either. I mean, when it comes down to like word choices and there was like a remarkable experience where I've never in the past 
I mean, I've had uh, misgivings or I don't know, I've had ambivalence around like channeled works, things like that. And yet it was for the first time in my life, I felt like the words were often just kind of like coming through me. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, I could only ever do on my own. But we started out by really getting clear about the overall structure of the book. And then often I would like dive into writing one section at a time and then I would run it by Brianna and she would have different ideas around it and we would go back and modify it. But you may have your own. No, I mean, it's true. It's tricky. And I would say that, you know, it really pushed both of us to having a lot of conversations that I don't think that if you're writing a book on your own, you would necessarily have because there's no one challenging you or like that a thought is true or that something yeah. that you wrote is the truest true thing. And so I feel like because we had the opportunity to do that with each other where, you know, one of us would come up with a concept or an idea and the other one would be like, okay, I'm not saying that it's not true, but can we just dive in together and see like, is that the truest true thing that we can share with people? And is there a way of explaining it better? And is that the most valuable way of putting that? And is that going to make the biggest difference for our readers? And I think because we were continuously doing that with each other, that the work itself ended up being, I think, better than it could have been if just one of us had written it. Totally. I think that because we came to the table with like very similar, you know, ideas of what we wanted it to look like. But then, you know, when you kind of go off on your own, you can go off in different directions. And so then having to have that challenged and so when I say challenged, it kind of sounds like negative maybe, but it wasn't really, it's just that we really cared about the content and then doing that together and, and having these deep conversations that we wouldn't have necessarily been having if it weren't for trying to write it for other people that made the work deeper for us and made our relationship deeper. And, you know, definitely there were arguments and there were times where we were like, I can't believe you don't think that that's right or whatever. Sometimes I would write like an entire section and Brianna would be like, yeah, I think this whole thing shouldn't be in the book. (laughs) And I was like, just this one paragraph here, though, right? She'd be like, no, I think the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Because that's what I spent the entire day doing. And uh, that was for nothing. But, you know, we did that with each other. I mean, there were definitely, like, opportunities for feathers to be ruffled. But, I mean, like Brianna was saying, I think she would be like, if this doesn't resonate with me, then it probably doesn't resonate with a lot of people or maybe it doesn't resonate with women in general. And I would say like, well, if this, the way that you worded this is a little too like, Hey girlfriend, kind of, and I was like, that's not going to work for me. And some of our readers are going to be guys. So we both had to get pretty thick skinned, I think, but the result probably is a book that is going to resonate with a broader audience than either of us could have spoken to individually. So I'm also curious, what was one of the things that you, you know, like what's, what was one concept that either one of you had in the book that you disagreed on how to like, or one section that you thought should be in, but the other person thought wouldn't, shouldn't be, or one sort of like concept that was like, well, I have this idea around it, but I have this total different idea. Is there anything you can think of just as an example? Cause I just think it's kind of fun. Uh-huh. 
Well, the one that comes to mind is like a little bit of a touchy subject, not just for us, but kind of in general, which is that I was talking, I wanted to, I mean, we got to this point in the book where we're talking about how to create a truly well life. We've never really gotten to that yet in this interview, but just to like step back a tiny bit, the book is basically about the expanded definition of wellness that we arrived at through our practices. We also did mention the fact that Brianna is a certified Ayurvedic medicine practitioner. So we both saw people in that Eastern medicine capacity and we both realized that people could be pretty well of mind and body, but have a life that didn't really work. And then yeah. can we really call it whole wellness? Could we really say that you're completely well if you don't make enough money and you don't have, you know, supportive, happy, healthy relationships and you don't do work that's meaningful to you and, you know, whatever. That should all be encompassed. There shouldn't be any areas of your life that are denied wellness if you you know, if you aim to be absolutely whole, you know, completely optimally well. So as we were going through the writing of the book and we talked, we wrote about like establishing a strong foundation, getting clear about what you want to create, releasing emotional baggage and stuff. We got to this point where we were like, okay, so it looks like we're going to have to talk about God <laughs> and not have to, but just that we both felt like, our spiritual practice and connection is something that has been instrumental in getting us where we are, more sort of in terms of our own peace and sense of potential than maybe sort of in an outward sense. But we couldn't not talk about that in the book and feel like it was still telling the whole truth of how to make your life well. Mm. And I was just writing about how I grew up Jewish and going to temple for me was such a bland, like, inspirationless experience. It was just like a bunch of people putting on a bunch of perfume and fancy clothes and, you know, trying not to fall asleep. <laughs> you know, I'm guessing that, like, many people's experience of, you know, Protestantism is very similar to that. Like, a very sort of watered-down experience of the divine. And so I had written this whole section about how we both had that kind of like Brianna for Brianna, it was bland Christianity. And for me, it was like bland Judaism. And that we both set that aside completely because it seemed so devoid of connection to us. And I was even an atheist for a handful of years, like as a teenager and a young adult before I had a bunch of spiritual experiences that really brought me back to that. And on my own terms that time, we really had some, difficult discussions about how to present that and Brianna can speak to that too. Well, I think part of it was that, you know, I, Peter, because he grew up Jewish, I kind of feel like I was Christian by default to him. And I was like, but I didn't really grow up Christian. My parents both like left their religions. Mm. Like my dad comes from a Catholic background. My mom comes from a Baptist background and they, you know, renounced, renounced. I don't know if that sounds like a little bit heavy handed. <laughs> they just they left it behind. They just left it behind. Yeah. And then they, before they had us. And so there wasn't really a lot of Christianity in my life. I went to church with my grandma when I went to go visit her. And, you know, my parents, well, specifically my dad really kept his connection to God and his love of Jesus, even though he wasn't like a big fan of religion. 
And so there's parts of it that I was like, I just don't feel like that's a totally true thing for me because I don't feel like, you know, even though I do the experiences I had with Christianity were pretty bland, I didn't feel like there was any like stepping away from it for me because I never felt like I was really in that in the first place. So it really was, you know, my parents, luckily, I feel like raised us really just to be whatever we wanted to be. And they really meant it. I actually, who would have known that they meant it so much? One of my sisters decided to become Mormon and they were so supportive of it. And it's like so completely different than how we were raised. And they were like, great, if that makes you happy, do it. You know, I feel like because of their openness to all, just being like, you find it for yourself. I felt like from a pretty young age, I had a quest for finding like what's for me. And so, you know, I think that that was like, maybe I felt like my experience wasn't like, very well articulated or something that's way why I didn't want it in the book. We scrapped a lot of that, yeah. but we ended up presenting it in what we hoped was like the least preachy way possible yeah. where, you know, we wanted to essentially say there's something bigger than the little you with this personality and this body. And if you can tap into that, then you're really going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I would agree. And I think, I mean, I agree with, because I was raised Catholic, but I don't follow, I guess, Catholic teaching. I don't really know what to say. Catholicism. Yeah. So, because I had the same experience as you, Peter. I'm like, this is so boring. Like, I would go to church and went to school and all that stuff. And I'm like, this is, why are people here? This is like the most unexciting place I've been to all week and it's supposed to be like this inspirational whatever and I'm like we would goof around like my dad would hit me like it was crazy anyway but I think it's cool to just leave it kind of open where it's like you create because I think one downside that I see in religious teachings regardless of whoever they are it's like we all of a sudden because if Kate and I were both Catholic and then Penelope's born now she becomes Catholic right so a lot of, I think it's just like you impose on our children, which we do that anyway. You do it with your own beliefs, right? But I think there's so many other religions in the world, which religions have caused like tremendous amounts of wars in themselves. But I think just there's so many other religions that are out there that we look at that's scary or those people are wrong instead of doing like what your parents did, Brianna, where it was like, oh, just do whatever you want. You know, like there's all these other opportunities to research and check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, it doesn't have to be any one religion. It, like definitely, I would not say that Peter and I are religious. We just both have a very clear connection to something bigger than ourselves that we like rotate in and out names of like, you know, and that kind of can be part of the challenge too. You know, people get all hung up on words, you know, like they don't like people get triggered by the word God or get triggered by the word Allah or get triggered by the word divine or universe or whatever. And there's no perfect word. And that's just part of it. You know, the less like grievances we can hold with the words that people use so that we can start to hear the message. I think the more we'll all feel more connected, not just to something bigger than ourselves, but to each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I would agree, like during the hard moments of my life, like those kind of dark nights of the soul, I have thought to myself so many times, thank goodness I believe in something bigger than myself. Otherwise this would be completely unbearable. So I think your connection, you know, you're connecting to like, you got to believe in something bigger than yourself if you want to be happy. (laughs) I mean, it may not be true for everybody, but it's definitely true for me. So I'm glad that that's what you guys are talking about in your book and that that's a piece of it. 
Is there any other piece of the well life that's kind of like, I mean, they're obviously creating this sense of wholeness. It's not like any area is more important than the others, but is there a favorite, like a, a favorite area that you like to talk about that just feels I, fun I don't to know you? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if our favorites are. You can each, you can each like answer that. separately then. Okay, great. You can go first. <laughs> put me on the spot here. Well, wow, there are so many. I mean, I do like talking about the stuff that we have been talking about and the whole idea of using non-physical means to bring an attention into reality. And it can be, it's a topic that pushes a lot of buttons for me as much as I like talking about it. You know, there's been so much fuss about things like the law of attraction that I think has been both good and bad. And early on, maybe 15 or something, 20 years ago, I think I was having a hard time in a relationship with someone I knew before Brianna and a friend of mine. I was really worried, worried that she was going to break up with me. That's what it was. And a friend of mine said, you know, Peter, worrying is praying for what you don't want. And I was like, huh? And he was like, yes, really. It's the law of attraction. If you worry that she's going to break up with you, I mean, that's what's going to happen. And without really putting much thought into it, I was like, wow, that sounds right. That sucks. <laughs> worry. And you know what the effect that had on me? I got like way more worried. Yeah. I was like, well, I was already worried. But now that you told me that that's going to produce the thing that I don't want, now I'm like freaking out. And something that I enjoyed writing in this book was kind of like blowing holes in some of those ideas and getting down to like what the reality of how we affect the world through non-physical means is. You know, I feel like if people have put way too many eggs in the thought is the sole creator of reality basket, and if thought were the sole creator of all of our reality, then like all of the teenage boys you know, <laughs> masturbating to pictures of like Victoria's Secret models would have those women walking around with them because they think about them all the time. <laughs> and you know, all the parents like worrying that their kids are going to get abducted. There'd be so many yeah. more abductions than there are. Yeah. And so clearly that's not the whole thing. Actually, one of Ken Wilber's books, Grace and Grit, where he talks about his wife's struggle with cancer and eventual death from it. Um, she has some of their new age friends come up to her and say, uh, why do you think you gave yourself cancer? Ugh. They're both like, kind of like, screw you. Are you, you know, like, is this really how you think that things work? So to me, I think I, I enjoy it. Cause I've had many patients come to me and tell me similar things. Like they're in bad shape and they're like, I just don't know why I'm doing this to myself. And I'm like, what a guilt trip. Like, how has this belief system helped you other than to make you feel horribly guilty? And so I've enjoyed telling people that I feel like they've taken intelligence out of the equation there completely. It's like you're relating to the universe as if it's just this like binary machine where it's like you have a thought, the universe delivers that in, you know, material circumstances for you without any sense of some sort of intelligent filter that can distinguish between things that you're worried about and things that you actually want in your life. Yeah. So we feel very differently about the things that we don't want to bring into our lives, the things that we worry about, than we do about the things that 
make us feel wonderful and that we feel inspired about having in the world. And of course, there's intelligence there that can distinguish between that. So I loved writing about and I like teaching people to like let themselves off the hook for the bad things that happen in their life and stop feeling like you did this to yourself. Of course, fully take advantage of learning from it as much as you possibly can. But, you know, recognize that the role of your mind is just sort of one slice of the pie in terms of, you know, the role that it plays in the circumstances of your life. Oh, that's mm. so good. That's amazing. Thank you, Peter. That was awesome. Amen. I like that part of the book, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I think that probably, I don't know if it's my favorite, but one of my favorite parts of the book is all about confidence. And I think because for me, it's been such a struggle in my own life to be really confident. And I would never, that's shocking. Like really, (laughs) that is really amazing. It's just such a great reminder that like, we never really know what people are dealing with because you are one of the most confident women I know. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. It's actually been, you know, just a very, very long road for me and working to make that happen and feeling like I have, you know, gone to so many teachers and gone to like so many like healing sessions with that as the thing I wanted to have like fixed about me. And Peter and I really have talked extensively about this and came to the idea that confidence is really made out of four specific things, self-trust. So being able to trust yourself to do what you say you're going to do. So that's like the whole integrity piece and really like building that in yourself so that you can rely on yourself and then self-worth, which is really that like unchanging worth that is yours innately that is always there and never varying except for the amount that you're aware of it. And, you know, we've kind of covered up our self-worth with so many things, you know, stories and ideas about ourselves. And so that they get, it gets cloudy, but it's not about it not being there because it's intrinsic to who you are. So it's more about clearing away those cobwebs or clearing away like the clouds that are in front of your self-worth so you can really be aware of it. And then the third thing is competent and just really being able to know that you know what you're doing because, you know, sometimes you aren't confident in doing something because you've never done it before, which is reasonable. And so you have to learn how to do that and have competence towards that thing until you're able to have confidence in doing it. And so your competence ranges in different things, right? So your confidence will therefore range in different things as well. But if you want to have confidence, say, you know, speaking on stage, then you need to have competence in speaking on stage as well. It's one of the factors. And hopefully, by the way, as I hear you say that, I'm hoping that that is picking up on the microphone clearly the difference between those two words. Yes. Competence and confidence. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for that. Just in case the listeners were like, why does she keep saying confidence? But as if it's two different things. <laughs> and then the fourth thing is courage. So just being able to, you know, have fear and do it anyway, because that is such a huge part of getting to confidence is, you know, not facing your fear and necessarily like obliterating fear, but just knowing that you're going to have fear and moving forward with it, 
anyway. So I feel like because it's something, these four things have really helped me build my own confidence. And, you know, it's still something that I would say is something that I'm not like 100% all the time confident, but I know now when I'm not feeling confident where to look and to say, okay, where am I? you know, what am I needing to put my focus on so that I can feel more confident again? You know, like, am I feeling like my self-trust is there? Do I feel like I'm aware of my own self-worth? Do I feel competent at this thing? And do I have courage? And when I can look at those four things, then I can see like, oh, it's really because I'm not, you know, a lot of times for me, it's like the self-worth piece. Like, oh, it's that I'm not being aware of my own innate self-worth. And so then I can, you know, take the time and really address that rather than chasing my tail around just trying to get more confident. Yeah. I love that. That was amazing. Did you, like, Peter, because you talked a lot about writing, did you write like, are you like, is there one of you that's a little bit of a better writer than the other person? Like, did you write all the content and then you come back and discuss it and change things? Or what did you both write some stuff? I'm going to answer that one of us is definitely a better writer. And that is Peter. He is like a far superior writer to me, but we came, we, he just rolled his eyes as if it wasn't true, but it is true. He's a much better writer, but we definitely like laid out kind of the framework of what we wanted to talk about. We even like dove in, like made a really clear, like outline about what everything would be. And then Peter, I think he wrote like the actual words to like the majority of it. And I wrote some aspects of it, like all, you know, we each wrote some aspects. Peter actually wrote, wrote more of it. And then we'd come back and the other person would edit and go through and make changes and suggestions. And then the other person would go back and edit again. And then we'd come together again. There was a lot of editing, so much editing. By the time it got to our editor, there was very little for her to do. Wow. That's amazing. I have a lot more practice. Maybe is a big part of it. I just like, I just have written a lot more. I wrote some like professional manuals for things and I've done a lot of editing and proofreading and I've been writing newsletters for like my private practice and for the spa now for 16 plus years. And at this point it's, you know, a, a weekly thing at least that I'm writing. So it just, and I'm more of like a wordsmith. I like, I care about words and I, like sort of choosing the perfect words. So often I would outline a chapter or we together would outline a chapter and then outline a subsection of a chapter and even possibly like further outline every single point we wanted to make within that subsection. And then maybe I would take that and choose the words, like flesh it out and bring it to Brianna and she would read it and, you know, give me feedback in terms of tone or say, you know, I really don't like this idea. I really want to add this or that. What a process. Wow, that's amazing. How long did it take you guys? What was the writing like from start to finish? Well Well like like let's say to make the first draft that you turned into your editor. I don't really like write in drafts much. I just like presented pretty close to a finished product. Not to sound like arrogant about yeah, yeah. it. I just like do that stuff along the way. Because right. I okay. I felt like the word choice in so many of these, especially when you're trying to convey you know, psycho-spiritual concepts and stuff to people, the words that you choose often are have to be very precise because there's so much nuance to them. So I didn't want to leave any of that in sort of a draft state. So I presented it as a pretty much a final copy so that we could have control over a lot of that stuff. But technically, it was a six-month process. Yeah. Um, hmm. And I would say that we have 
already pretty well developed before any of that. I mean, we submitted with our proposal, I guess, three chapters. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we did the traditional route of finding an agent, coming up with a proposal. We submitted three chapters with it. So we already had a lot of a framework and I had written articles about many of these topics already. And Brianna had a course of her own that touched on a lot of this stuff too. So we weren't like starting with like a completely undeveloped idea. I don't think we would have gotten a book deal if we had really. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. I like that. It's just, it brings a level of depth again. Like we, I just feel like we've been talking about this, like the depth with the two of you is profound from the fact that you have the background in Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and, you know, all of these different facets to your business and the the courses and the pain management and the product line and all the people that work with you. And then now also in the depth of the writing experience, I mean, right now in our kind of personal growth world, right. And in the wellness world, it's really easy to just kind of like slap a blog post together and, you know, put some stuff out there. And I just really want our listeners to realize that what you're getting with Peter and Brianna is a level of rigor and lived experience and training and depth that you are not getting most of the time. Mm -hmm. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. So before we wrap up here, is there anything else that you really feel you want to make sure that people know either about the well life or kind of one last tip, knowing that this is coming out the last week of the year. So anything that you'd like to leave people with, especially given the timing? Well, we didn't really get into, and we don't have to, this language of these three elements, structure, sweetness, and space that we use throughout the book to kind of... I loved that part, by the way. Thank you for bringing it up because I really thought such a great framework to be able to remember when we're feeling lost. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we both come from backgrounds, Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine that utilize the elements of the natural world as like teachers and as a metaphor for the dynamics of human lives as well. And we can see the way things cycle and balance each other out in nature are reflected in the same way that healthy balance occurs in human lives. So it was kind of a natural thing for us to present this in sort of an elemental kind of format with these three interdependent elements of structure, sweetness, and space. And the nutshell version is that sweetness is kind of all the soul-nourishing, feel-good stuff, and structure is all of the kind of life architecture that helps you integrate sweetness and space, which I'll get to, and make things happen. And that space is the perspective and the openness to allow for a connection and inspiration and depth. And if I could just talk about one of those in this time of year for people, I would say that sweetness as the soul-nourishing, feel-good kind of aspect of life from hanging out with friends to taking a bath to stretching or exercising is something that's really easy to let fall by the wayside when things get crazy. And so people tend to view it as like a treat. It's like, I'll have an enjoyable time when <laughs> every, all the bad stuff is over and yeah. all the hard work is done, you know, maybe this weekend or maybe retirement. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so a big part of the message is to admonish people not to 
let the sweet stuff wait until later and have it be this just this like icing that you may have, but to like deliberately schedule sweetness types of activities into your calendar so that they happen and at least as importantly to start to discover the sweetness that's in whatever you're doing anyway whether it's like getting your groceries rung up or washing the dishes or you know cleaning up the dog poop from your backyard or whatever (laughs) it's possible there really is a sweetness there if only the like sweet stillness of your real presence with it so much not an indulgence because it fortifies you in a way that lets you do your work and the serious stuff that you think is worth sacrificing sweetness for in such a better, more efficient, more wholehearted way. Yeah. And that really, I mean, that actually brings up kind of what I was wanting to say, which is this, that, you know, this morning I was shaving my legs in the shower and as I was shaving my legs, I was like, this is so fun. Like, <laughs> I don't think that I've ever actually shaved my legs before. I think I've always been like shaving my legs to have shaved legs, but never like really present with the fact that that's what I'm doing. And as I was bringing my presence to that moment, there was such, there was such an enjoyable part of that, you know, it's like, Oh, this is actually fun. There's like hot water. It's kind of like, you know, it's feels like clean. And it's like, it was, I don't know. It was just fun. And I thought, you know, I would love to just remind people that when we, bring our presence and a depth to what we're doing, everything is much more enjoyable. Yeah. When we engage really shallowly with the world because we're, because we only have the capacity to do so because we're trying to take on so much that we are interacting very shallow, then they're even the most joyful things. We're not really getting all the joy out of. And so the more that we can actually bring our presence. And I know that like being present is probably something that's been thrown around in the self growth world forever. But I just encourage people to actually ask themselves if they're doing it. And if you're not doing it, how can you make 2017 the year where you're just more present? Even if you did nothing else different with your life, even if you kept eating Doritos every night, which I'm sure very few people in your audience do, but you know, even if you kept doing all of your bad habits, but if you did them with like a different quality of presence, your whole life would change and it would change in a way that is inevitably going to bring more joy to you and more joy to all the people around you. Thich Nhat Hanh has this quote that I love that's, you can wash the dishes to have clean dishes, or you can wash the dishes to wash the dishes. <laughs> but now I think I'm going to change that to, you can shave your legs to have <laughs> legs, or you can shave your legs to shave your legs, which does sound fun to me, honestly. Are you going to shave your legs today, Peter? <laughs> you know it. The next time we're cuddling together, you'll be able to experience it. <laughs> Do you? When was the last time you shaved your legs? I shaved my legs like two days ago. Oh, you did? I did. Yeah. Kate's like, I gotta shave my legs. She has the finest leg hair ever, <laughs> and it like only really grow, like it barely grows. Like she would be like, oh yeah, two months ago I, I just do that occasionally. I know. I'm so lucky. Yeah, I'm blessed with. I don't have very much hair. Well, you guys, this was this a pleasure. Awesome. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, Peter, I got to like call you out on your story of how you met Brianna. You know, your whole like, I work in her spa thing. Because 
did like the fact that maybe an attractive woman said, Hey, do you want to come work in my spa space over here? We should do this together. Like, or was it the dripping, trickling, Googling water or whatever you said? You know, the real story, and I won't take more than a minute to tell it because we're, I know. Oh, no, it's fine. Take your time. We were working at this other spa. I was just starting my practice. so I needed to make some extra money. So I found a job at a spa. I never dreamed I was going to work at a spa. And Brianna was there also. She was had a private massage practice, but she was there doing massage. And at this place, they had these wooden carts that had big ceramic basins on them full of rocks that they would roll over to people who were sitting up on these elevated couches to have foot baths. So we were often just pushing these carts around and she was sitting on one one day and I grabbed her feet and started spinning her around on the cart. And it seemed like we were in this kind of like flirty phase of like, you know. Yeah, we weren't quite together yet. No, we weren't together. I actually, I, I wasn't sure if she had a boyfriend or not, but I thought like, you know, what the hell, I'm going to spin this girl around because we're just like in between clients and it seemed like a fun thing to do. And then the cart like collapsed <laughs> and she fell like flat on her sacrum on this stone floor. Oh my gosh. She let out like a blood curdling scream. He and broke my tailbone. It was like scream worthy. We don't know if anything was actually broken, but uh, <laughs> there, there were clients there, like only separated by paper screens. <gasps> and she was like, ah! <laughs> and then I was like, I have the perfect thing for this, this Chinese liniment. Let's go down to one of the private rooms and I will massage it into this area for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't like trying, I truly, I was like doing what I believed to be like the best therapeutic intervention. Sure. And it simply happened to involve like rubbing the rear end of this woman who's now my wife. Um, that's so. genius. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're, if, when, when in doubt, break her tailbone. Oh yeah. my gosh. I well, the tailbone that part. Story. Yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> I love it. You guys are the best. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, where can people find you? Like, yeah. where, where can they learn more about, well, the well life and all the books and everything mentioned will link up below, but like, where are you guys yeah. hanging out? I mean, if they want to go see the book, it's at thewelllifebook.com. You'll see a cute little video of Peter, us, and our kids there. And then everything else is pretty much all centered at thedragontree.com. So you can find everything from there. And if any of your listeners are in Portland, Oregon, or going to be there, which is where we lived for 15 years before moving to Boulder, we're doing a book reading at Powell City of Books, this gigantic bookstore. That I think it's the biggest bookstore in the Western Hemisphere. January 2nd. Yeah, and if you come, right. let us know and come give us a hug and we'll sign your book and it'd be great to see you. I'm sure we have listeners in Portland, yeah. Oregon. That's awesome. awesome, you guys. Well, thank yeah, you excited. so much. We love you guys so much and we can't wait until you come visit us in Maine this summer again. And blessings to both of you for a beautiful holiday season and a really happy new year. This has been awesome. Thank you. You yeah, too. You love too. you guys. Love you guys. And we love coming back to Thomas. Is that where you guys are? Yeah. 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 And you guys can come visit us in Boulder sometime soon. Someday when our baby becomes easier to travel with, we will come to Boulder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> love you. We'll take care of her the whole time. Okay. We're coming. Okay. Girl. Bye, you guys. Bye. Guys. Bye. Ever feel like you're constantly doing things but aren't able to carve out the time or energy for the things that really matter to you? 
Mike and I want to share our top five tools for making a life, not just a living. To learn what they are, go to katenorthrup.com forward slash tools. See you on the next episode.